we're going to read from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 21. So Matthew's Gospel, chapter 21. Uh, sometimes, in fact, usually when I've spoken to you in the past, uh, I felt the Lord has laid on my heart a very specific message for you as a, a fellowship. Uh, I really believe that what's happening in uh, New Beginnings really matters to the Lord. And of course, if it matters to the Lord, then it will be hated by Satan. And sometimes I believe I've been given a, a, a message just to help New Beginnings Church in a very a particular way. Uh, I think what I want to share this morning is just during this lockdown period, I've been mulling over what I, what I feel the Lord God is saying, just maybe certainly to New Beginnings, but also beyond New Beginnings, what's he trying to say to the church in general? And uh, so I just want to say that at the outset, this is something that I feel I've been hearing. Uh, and I think it's relevant, uh, I really do, to new beginnings, but also uh, to the, the people of God as a, a whole uh, in this day in Scotland. If that doesn't sound very presumptuous, as I say, it, it sounds presumptuous. Um, but I think these things that I want to share today have got a a meaning for you, but also of a, a wider relevance to the wider church. So Matthew chapter 21, and we're going to begin reading at verse 12. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. And moving on in the same chapter to verse 42, after Jesus has uh, carried out some teaching that has brought almost the opposition to, to pitch point, as it were, he says in Matthew 21, 42, Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvellous in our eyes. And then moving back into the Old Testament, this is uh, part of what I want to share with you this morning as well. Isaiah chapter 50, Isaiah, Isaiah, however you want to pronounce it, Isaiah chapter 50. And uh, beginning from verse 4, the Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught. Maybe didn't give you long enough to look it up. Isaiah 50 from verse 4. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I turned not back. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. Well, amen and may God bless his word to us this morning and may he give us such understanding as he wants us to have uh, on these particular passages for his purposes in our lives and uh, in your fellowship and in his church um, at this time. 
I was sharing with a, an online sort of uh, event the other night that <clears throat> I was remembering back to my to my nursery school days. I think back in the days when I went, it was called kindergarten actually. And I was remembering, I must have been about three and a half or four. I was remembering what was called the, the Tufty Club. And uh, Tufty was a, a squirrel and he taught us how to cross the road. And he had a slogan, we'd to look right, we'd to look left, we'd to look right again, and uh, then cross the road safely. And by the time we'd mastered this art, we got a little tin badge with, uh, the, Tufty, with Tufty the squirrel on it. Well, blow me if in the middle of learning all this complicated stuff, Tufty got the heave ho, and so did look right, look left, look right again. And another slogan came in. I don't think there was a squirrel or any animal attached to it at all, which was very unexciting. And uh, the slogan was stop, look, listen. I hope this doesn't sound weird, but I, I believe just a few weeks ago as I was waking up, I heard the Lord sing that to me. Sometimes I find that early moment when I'm just awaking, I don't know why. Sometimes I find that's where I sense what the Lord wants to say to me. And I did sense him saying, Kenny, stop, look, listen. And he was clearly saying there was one or two things in my life that I just needed to, to stop and look and listen for what he was saying and what he was requiring and how he wanted me to be in certain situations. <clears throat> but the more I thought about it, I thought that's not a bad slogan for what any congregation, any believer, any church needs to do from time to time. We really need to stop and look and listen. Because it's easy, isn't it, for anything to do with our Christian living and anything to do with our congregation. It's as though these things can take on a life of their own almost, and we've never actually stopped and looked and listened to make sure that we're actually in line with the will of God. I, I like what Graham was praying during the worship and prayed again at the end there. It's, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And we need to stop and look and listen for that. And one of the things I've been doing over the last few weeks is I've been setting other side things aside, other books aside, other things that I like to read. And, and that's not necessarily to become a rule for you. It's just something I, I felt I wanted to do just for a season anyway. And just to listen to scripture itself and particularly to Jesus himself. Jesus, as we read of him in the New Testament, but also we read of Jesus in the Old Testament. And I've been trying just to listen and get the tone and the feel of Jesus. And uh, really the reason I'm doing that is because in him, the will of God, in him, God is made manifest, in him, perfect humanness is made manifest. And in him, through his teaching, through his deeds, we learn what the will of God is for his people, for the church. I think it's almost, if you like, a lot of activity has had to shut down, hasn't it? And I think it's almost as though you could view this as a, a Sabbath day, almost an enforced Sabbath day, where the church has had to cease from many of its labours. And it's as though God is 
I'm not saying there's anything good about the coronavirus. It's a hideous thing, and I'll come back to that later. But I think one of the benefits that can come out of it for us, this lockdown period, is that it's God almost forcing us to stop for many of our labors in order to stop, look, and listen for what he would say. So what is he saying for his church? I guess that was one of my questions as I put aside other uh, things and just try to focus on, on Jesus as revealed in the Bible. And that was one of my background questions. Lord, what are you saying in this enforced Sabbath rest? What is it you want us to hear? What is your will for your church? And it was one of these moments, it was almost like a, a duh moment, because I felt God saying, I'm saying to my church these days what I've always said. It's as though he was saying to me, Kenny, it's perfectly clear in my word. It's perfectly clear in my son what I want for my church. And that's why we read from Matthew chapter 21. If you've still got your Bibles open, just let's remind ourselves of what Jesus actually said. As he cleansed the temple, folk had taken control of the temple for their own purpose. Again, uh, I love that Graham's so close to God and he hears from God. That prayer during and after the worship is so real and relevant to this morning. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Because people had taken hold of the temple and made it their own kingdom. And they'd taken control and were establishing their own will. And Jesus comes, and you remember how later on in Matthew 21, we read this wee bit as well, that the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It's as though down from heaven, thump comes this mighty cornerstone. And it flattens all those who've taken control of the temple for their own purposes. And God reminds the people what he'd always wanted his house to be, what he'd always wanted his temple to be. My house shall be called what? This is the duh moment. My house shall be called a house of prayer. There it is. In some of the other versions, we read a house of prayer for all nations. That was the Father's will for his house. That was his expressed will through Jesus. It is so clear that this is primarily what he wants, his temple, his house. And of course, now there's no temple made with hands. We're the temple. We're the house of God. This is what he wants for his house. It becomes a place of prayer, a place where people of all nations, in other words, of all types, from all places, from whatever they've been going through in their lives, a place where anybody can come and cry out to me. That's what God wants for his church. And they come and they cry out to me because somehow they've heard from my people that actually God cares and you can pray to him and you can cry out to him and you can come to him with all your needs and he will hear and listen and he will help. He wants his house to be a house of prayer. I remember when uh, I, my children were learning to speak and when they came to me and started to speak, you know, I, I didn't say to them, you know, get out of my sight until you can speak in full sentences and pronounce your words properly. I was just delighted that they were speaking to me 
quote, I think, would bring great joy to the Lord in terms of his church in Scotland, and that includes your fellowship in New Beginnings. If it became a place where needy people, people who knew how to pray, people who didn't know how to pray, people who could all dot all the I's, cross all the T's, and people who could scarcely use words to pray, but just come and cry and groan and make a noise before the Lord. I think that's what he wants for his church. It's interesting, isn't it? When the controllers were cleared out, what do we read next? What happened? The blind and the lame came to him in the temple. Needy people came because they'd heard announced that this is what the living God wanted them to experience in his temple, in his house, that they could speak to him, that they could come to him, that they could pray themselves, that they could be prayed for, and the living God who cared for them would meet them. We have to be in our guard for the spirit of control arising in God's house, and it can come in all shapes and forms, even unlikely shapes and forms. You know, I've had to pray in the past that God would protect me from people's prayers because their prayers were not prayers at all. They were manipulation. They were seeking to establish their will over me and upon me and upon the congregation. And that releases such demonic attack. Now I'd actually to pray for protection from the prayers of God's people. Prayer is simply coming to the Lord of all goodness and seeking not our own will, but to come below his will of mercy and grace. To pick up Sandy's comments, to say, thy will be done for this person in their life. And we come to you, the God of all compassion, the God of all care, to pray with them, to pray for them, to voice prayers on their behalf and to let them voice their prayers in whatever way they can. My house shall be called a house of prayer. That's the first thing I think I want to lay before you. What does that mean like? I know you already pray and many congregations already pray, but you know how in the Bible we're sometimes told to do the things we're already doing, only to do them more so. I wonder what would it be like for new beginnings to become more so a place of genuine prayer and a place where the needy would come because it gets the reputation of there's a God that is worshipped in that place who hears and answers prayer and who cares about human beings and all their need of body, soul, and spirit. And that leads me on to the second thing that I think I've been hearing from the Lord. And it's interesting because at the moment I'm doing a few online services for a church in Lewis. And the minister there has heard the two things, and that's greatly encouraging because we're actually going to be going there maybe for a couple of months just to to help with the preaching and the praying in that place and uh, just going for a wee while just to, just to help that vision as it were. And as well as prayer, the second thing that I've heard and interestingly enough this minister from Lewis has heard as well, 
is the word compassion is linked with the first, that God wants his church, his house, to be a place of prayer for everybody. But it's also, so it's linked with that. But I want to deal with it as a second point, as it were. And the second word I've been hearing alongside the word prayer is simply the word compassion, compassion. I want to think of the second part of that word, the word passion. It's, a, it's an interesting word. Passion comes from a Latin word called patior. And it means to undergo something, to come under something, to go under something. Have you ever wondered why we talk about Christ's passion in the, the days leading up to and including his crucifixion? Uh, maybe you've seen whether you approved of it or not. You know that there's a film around called The Passion of the Christ. Why is it we call these events leading up to and including the cross? Why do we call them passion? Well, the word patior means to go under. What do I mean by all of this? I think it was Henry Nouwen that first showed me this in one of his books. He said, and it's obvious when someone points it out to you, but I'd never really seen it so starkly until I, I read about that in his book. Um, he said when you look at Jesus' ministry, the bulk of his three years public ministry, it's very much Jesus is taking the lead. He's in control of the action. He's the one who heals. He's the one who delivers. He's the one who teaches. He's the one who disciples. He's the one who sets free and so on. He's the one who, uh, who enters into debate when he chooses to do so with the scribes and the lawyers and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and so on. When it comes to the events in the last week of his life, things change. Now, I want to stress this because without you hearing this, uh, you would rightly accuse me of heresy. Jesus chose for things to change. Remember, he could have called 12 legions of angels if he wanted. He chose to allow things to change in the way that I'm about to describe. And when he made that choice, this new feeling around him begins. No longer is he actively taking the lead. Now things are done to him and he undergoes them. He goes under them. Things now are done to Jesus. He is betrayed through no fault of his own. It just is done to him. He is unjustly tried. It is done to him. He is scourged. It is done to him. He is led away. It is done to him. He is crucified. It's done to him. He is mocked. He is humiliated. These things are done to him. He undergoes them. And he didn't deserve any one of them. Friends, for you and I, probably the most precious thing about knowing Jesus is that he's forgiven us for our sins and we have eternal life. And please hear me, I am not backtracking from that being at the very core of the message that the lost need to hear. But they also need to hear this 
that he is the helper of man who understands the human experience of being under things that happen to you and over which you have no control and concerning which you're not at fault that these things happen to you. This message came alive to me, believe it or not, when I was listening to one of the daily reports from the government during the coronavirus, during lockdown. I think it was the health minister, but certainly the, the, the chancellor as well, who said, we're wanting to roll out this measure of help, whatever it was, I can't remember, in order to help those who are suffering through no fault of their own. There is suffering that we bring ourselves upon ourselves. Sin brings its own suffering. But friends, this is part of the human condition and people need to know our God deeply understands this because he stood under this for himself. Things happened to him that were not his fault. Things were done to him. And that can make people so weary. During this coronavirus, people didn't make a choice to lose their loved ones. It happened to them. They didn't make a choice to lose their jobs. It's happened to them. It's happened to my son. They didn't choose for their business to go down the drain. They didn't choose to be standing at an abyss of one sort or another, looking into it and wondering what on earth is going to become of them. These things happen to them. That's why we read Isaiah chapter 50. If you've got your Bibles, turn to that uh, passage that we read, Isaiah chapter 15, verse 4. The Lord has given me, this is Jesus speaking. There's four servant songs in the Old Testament. It's amazing because remember I said we don't only read about Jesus in the New Testament, but in the Old. And I think in the four servant songs that we read of in Isaiah, we're taken much deeper into Christ than even the Gospels take us. There's famous words that come from them that you'll know. The first song is in chapter 42, where we hear that Jesus will not break a bruised reed or put out a smoldering wick. Lots of human beings feel like that, that they're on the edge and it wouldn't take them much to push them over the edge. And then we all know the fourth song, chapter 52 and 53, where we read of this servant being wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. He wasn't suffering for his own faults, but for us. We maybe know the second song in chapter 49, where we read about Jesus becoming a light to the nations. But I wonder if chapter 50 isn't the least known. This is the third of the fourth songs. I wonder if this isn't the least known. It's actually my favorite. Let's just read from verse four. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught, Jesus speaking here, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. It's part of the very core of Jesus' ministry that he doesn't just want to save people from their sins. He wants to help people who are weary. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Those of you who have come under things and they're heavy and they're wearing you out. 
Come to me, all those who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Well, that's what's being promised here. Morning by morning, he awakens, God awakens, speaking poetically. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. Why was he able to give a word to the weary? Why can we know that's not just an empty promise? Because he knew what he would have to go through what would be done to him. He authenticated his word. He gave it some real clout by what he then went through himself. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike. I gave my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from those who piled disgrace upon me, humiliation upon me, mockery upon me through no fault of my own. I hid not my face from spitting. I went under that and felt what's that, what that is like. And so now this living Jesus who lives evermore in the power of an indestructible light, he can draw near to people in their weariness. And somehow I wonder, does the world around us know that God cares about weariness? He just cares about that feeling of being deeply worn out, of being under things that just feel so heavy. And Jesus not only says, I can lift that sense of heaviness, but the reason he can do that is that he has stood under these things for himself. He knows their weight and he comes alongside as one who cares. What will it look like for you to make that flesh and new beginnings? I guess that's for every sort of individual congregation to work out. Maybe there's a thousand different ways we can seek to make that live. So I don't want to give you any sort of concrete ideas. I, I trust uh, through meeting uh, Graham, I, I don't know all the leadership equally well, but I know him and his heart. And I know that he seeks God and seeks God's will. Uh, and I believe that together under such leadership and respect and honouring such leadership, you can together find a way to, to make these words prayer, to make this word compassion how to make these words take on flesh in your neighborhood. And like Peterson, this paraphrase of the coming of Jesus into the world, the word became flesh, the word became a real human being and he moved into the neighborhood. And I somehow think these words, prayer and compassion, are a, are a way to help the word become flesh in your neighborhood, the love of God become flesh in your neighborhood. But just as I close, I realize I've maybe spoken too long. So just as I close, I wonder if there's some, I wonder if there's some of you individually, never mind the church for a moment as we close. You, you need to know that Jesus is the helper of the weary. You need to know that he is standing under certain things with you. And he comes from above them now, from the place of all authority and all power, but he still comes to us in what we're standing under in order to help us in our weariness. You know, it's a, it's a strange thing, let me be personal as I close. Um, 
a few years ago when I had to give up full-time work because of my my lung condition that hadn't been diagnosed for about seven or eight years and so it got to the incurable stage as it were. Um, I, I remember just at that time before they gave me medication etc I was so so tired just absolutely worn out and eventually I I had to get a counsellor to help me and I'll tell you why. Church of Scotland kindly prayed, paid for me to get a counsellor. It's as though I felt incredibly guilty through stopping work. I couldn't do anything about it. I'd come under it, but we're so strangely wired that sometimes we can think we're at fault. And, and I, I felt I was to blame, even though I wasn't. And I felt somehow it must be my fault and God couldn't be very pleased. And I actually felt a complete failure. That's the feeling I came under that was placed upon me. A failure that with this debilitating condition, I could no longer work 80 or 90 hours a week, which was my average working week. I couldn't preach several times. I just couldn't do it. And an occupational health doctor that the church sent me to said, you're not even capable of working part time. I felt such a failure and I got this counsellor and you know what, she was the word of the Jesus who helps the weary and who comes to under, who comes as one who understands because he stood under what we go through. And she gave me another word from this Jesus who knows with a word how to sustain the weary. And eventually, after several months of counselling, was able to receive it. And this was the word, you're not a failure. You're actually learning to walk a new path that you've never had to walk before in your life. And you're managing to do it. And managing to do it successfully. You're not failing, you're triumphing. As you walk this new path with the help of God. Why is it that we, as well as what we're under, we crush ourselves with the oughts and shoots? If I'm a person of faith, I ought to be managing better than I am. I ought to me be looking more victorious than I am. Have you ever had a Christian say to you, you shouldn't be depressed because you're a Christian? What a terrible thing to say. All these oughts and shoots that we place over ourselves. I wonder if as well as maybe you're facing weariness through lockdown, weariness through things that are happening to you, weariness through health issues, weariness through family issues, as well as that, have you got thoughts and shoots pressing you down? I just pray that the kind, compassionate Jesus will help you to be a kind, compassionate place for yourself. Get rid of all the odds, all the shoots. I wasn't a safe place for myself for a couple of years. I don't mean by, mean by that I ever thought of harming myself. Actually, I never thought of that at all. But I was a condemning place for myself. I was a harsh place for myself. Are you a safe place for yourself? Maybe you need to let the compassionate Jesus draw near to you in all your weariness. And, and be the one who sustains us in our weariness because he understands that he stood under it.
He knows how to bring a word of hope alive in your heart. Maybe the word of hope is you're not a failure, you know. You're actually a complete success in my eyes. You're learning to walk a difficult path. And you're managing to walk it well. So I pray that God will bless what I've spoken this morning and what's really for you, you'll hold on to. What's not, may, may it just fly off your shoulders along with all the other oughts and shoots, may it just be blown away. And may you hold on to what Jesus, the one who knows how to sustain the weary and how to sustain weary congregations, entire congregations and fellowships. May we hear what the Lord our God is saying. May it bring us rest of soul, may it bring us hope, may it bring us guidance, may it bring us vision. May it go into the soil of our lives, the soil of the church, and bring forth fruit, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold to his glory. So God bless, and it's been a great joy yet again to share in your fellowship.